not March. Views we and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center. Broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. Today is Thursday, April 19th. We have a great topic today. So, let's get things started. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Busy week in sports. Uh, fairly a lot going on with, you know, baseball season just getting underway. And, of course, with the NBA and NHL playoffs uh, just sort of getting underway here. Uh, also, we have a little bit of soccer news. Manchester City has won the English Premier League. The I believe that is the most... Uh, popular and competitive soccer league over in uh, Great Britain. So congrats to Manchester City on their big win. Uh, In other soccer news, because I know some of you uh, that listen in are soccer fans, for those of you uh, who are interested, uh, listeners like you, this program is brought to you by Supercuts Soccer Fest. This is a six versus six soccer tournament located on the campus of the University of Massachusetts, and it will be held on April 28th. That is just roughly eight or nine days away. Uh, this one day tournament welcomes all abilities. So pit your team against other regional challengers in the Top Gun bracket or because I know some of you are just looking to have some uh, laid-back soccer fun. Instead, you can do the fun and relaxed uh, soccer bracket, which is (laughs) called the Just for Fun bracket. Sorry, froze up there a little bit. Um, Also, men's, women's, and co-ed divisions are available. Registration deadline is April 18th, which is... Technically yesterday, but don't you worry because I believe they extended the registration, but they're going to need you to register as soon as possible. So for more information, visit SuperCutsSoccerFest.org. So go sign up, play some soccer. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're probably, you probably live in the Amherst, Northampton, uh, Hadley somewhat western mass area so if you're near the campus of the university of massachusetts you're looking to play soccer go sign up for that now that's supercutssoccerfest.org all right so getting into uh some important topics today uh first off i just figured we'd cover the bruins real quick uh they play tonight game four first two games taken by the bruins fairly easily uh and then on Monday night, we saw the Maple Leafs for the first time sort of come to life. Uh, they showed a lot of, you know, sincere comeback effort. Uh, the home, their, their home advantage seemed to be playing a very big part in their success. The crowd was 
on their feet for a good good chunk of the game. Uh, they were loud. You could even, you know, just even watching the game on television, you could you could sort of feel the energy in the building, um, and the, you could tell the players are feeding off of it. As you know, they it was a pretty fast-paced game, uh, a lot of high energy. You could tell in the players, and you know, I think a little bit of frustration from the Bruins because, you know, they they were doing so well at you know. Uh, getting get controlling the puck and you know getting the puck off the boards and then finally uh Toronto sort of you know reversed what you know Boston was doing successfully in the first two games and it was sort of you know I'll, I'll sort of go off on a tangent right now um Tuka Rask who let up four goals I don't necessarily think it was his fault at all because um you had one of the goals that was directly off of a power play, which shouldn't have been a power play in the first play. I don't know if you saw, you probably saw the play where uh, uh, where Nash got called for, Riley Nash got called for delay a game because they thought that he flipped the puck over the boards, the sideboards, when it actually hit the sideboard and then went over. So technically it would not be a delay of game penalty. The ref was standing right there, so I don't know what he missed, what he didn't see. Clearly not a delay of game. Uh, Nash went to the box anyway, and Toronto scored pretty much immediately, uh, like seconds into that power play. So not Rask's fault there. Um, and sort sort of just like a, a officiating miscue. Uh, and then the second goal was just a, a blatant, just sort of sloppy play on the defense. Uh, clean breakaway by, I don't know if it was, it might have been um, Patrick Marlowe, I believe, uh, Marlowe. So pretty much if, if if you excuse those two goals, which, you know, were excusable in the eyes of, you know, a goaltender because one was the defense's fault and one was sort of the officiating thing. Um, then other than that, Tuca has been playing very well. I think the defense has honestly been playing well for the exception of uh, that sort of, you know, uh, slipped up breakaway goal that Patrick Marlowe scored. Um, And then you have to remember that Rask is just in generally, I think, underappreciated by Bruins fans. I think it takes somebody, honestly, from outside of the league to really look at Rask and say, okay, well, he's... He's the only, you know, consistent goaltender in the last six years. He's the only goalie, I believe, in the league with 30-plus wins in the last six years. So while the team hasn't been competitive in the last six years, and, of course, you know, his his best season was the uh, Vezina Trophy winning season, which was feels like a while ago now. But, um, sure, like like I said, we haven't necessarily been in contention uh in in years past I know last year we sort of made it into the second round I think of the playoffs but even before that the years before that we missed uh the playoffs a good couple of years or a good few years uh it's not off the top of my head but um I do I just don't think Bruins fans really look at Rask and and understand how much of the team's success comes from him I think it's easy cuz analysts put a lot of uh, heavy emphasis on the offense, and Pasternak gets credit there. And then you know, 
yeah, uh, when when the two-way game goes down, everyone looks at Bergeron, and when Zendino Chara gets old, older, I should say, they start asking you know questions about, well, is the defense still intact? And then questions about the defense uh, sort of find themselves in the spotlight. And often the goaltender position, I feel like, gets left out, especially Tuka Rask, just because, sure, he hasn't been maybe the standout goalie that uh, he could be or that we want to see in him, but he's consistent. And I think that's why he sort of takes a back seat um, when, you know, analysts and the media talk about the team's success. And it sort of goes back to the whole, uh, I, I guess I could kind of make an analogy here to like a groundskeeper at a, at a, at a baseball field, right? Um, it's one of those jobs where you, if you're doing, if you're, you're doing well, if you don't hear anything, you know what I mean? So the only time a ground, a baseball groundskeeper is going to get attention is if, you know, he leaves a dividend in the field and the players, you know, sprains an ankle. So it's, I feel like a goaltender, being a goaltender is one of those thankless jobs where, you know, if you're doing a consistent good job, you're probably not going to get a lot of attention. It's usually when the attention gets drawn to you when you're sort of letting up goals or being careless and sloppy or just not competing at that high level. Uh, so that's sort of the spiel I have with the Bruins. Obviously, uh, a big game tonight as the Leafs are, you could say, officially back in it. Um, so yeah, it's I mean it's a big three one two two, big big differences. So this is probably this could be the turn in the series, or it could just be the Bruins getting one game closer to, you know. Locking up this first round, uh, this first round victory, um, and then so now transitioning a little bit to the Celtics. I I don't usually like to make my show so Boston sports heavy, just because I feel like a lot of the shows here at the station uh, cover off on that sort of stuff. And you know, I think it's nice to have a little bit of diverse programming. Um, you know, just so it's not always Boston uh, sports radio because. You know, I mean, that's what we hear the majority of the time. We hear that a lot, and, you know, I know it's important, but anyway, uh, besides all that, you know, there's a lot of important things to cover, headlines to cover with uh, both NHL and NBA playoffs sort of getting underway. So it's almost necessary we talk about uh, the Bruins and Celtics today because I know I talked about uh, the Red Sox last week, so we're, we're pretty much good there. We don't need to uh, dive too deep in the Red Sox. But getting back uh, on track here to the Celtics, um, obviously, without Kyrie Irving, without Hayward, um, not exactly the playoff, you know, situation most Celtics fans pictured in the off season. I mean, I mean, we lost Hayward very. I mean, the first game of the season. So, you know, I think most people had expectations, uh, their expectations set for him that he would not be playing in the playoffs. There was some speculation that well, maybe he could be ready for some of the later rounds if the Celtics even made it that far but I don't think anyone expected really Kyrie Irving to just be done for the season I know some people were expecting he'd play the entire playoffs I mean excuse me he would play the first round let alone miss the entire playoffs so it, it sort of went from being yeah maybe he'll miss the first round then you know yeah maybe he'll miss the second round 
and unfortunately he's sort of out for the season. And for somebody that doesn't follow the Celtics uh, that often, which is me, um, I was surprised how little media attention it got. I feel like it sort of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, And, you know, I mean, losing a star player is... I'm sure, you know, if you follow the team, you're very aware. But I just felt as somebody not in the loop, it sort of, you know, took me a couple days to be like, to sort of figure out, like, is it official? Will he officially not be playing for the rest of the postseason? And, of course, that is true. Uh, So sort of getting into the logistics of things, how will the team move on from here? And, you know, I think it's it's more reasonable to be, you know, skeptical going into, you know, the rest of this NBA postseason with the Celtics. Um, and by that, I mean it's very unlikely they get far. Um, I think we have to sort of take that that's uh, cynical view here and as much as we like to be optimists about this team it just doesn't sound like this is our year there's not enough complete pieces um, but the good news is what we can do or I shouldn't say we but what the Celtics can do is use this as a good team building coach connecting sort of playoff run work out the kinks well, you don't have the complete pieces, and just see how far you get. You know, uh, Brad Stevens, everybody knows, is an excellent coach. At this point, it's just a matter of, okay, let's see how well of a coach Brad Stevens is. Can he get his team with two of the best players on the roster um, far? How far can he get them in the playoffs without Kyrie and Hayward? So... You know, I think that he can he can really bring out the best abilities in some of the more role playing guys and say, okay, now you're on the big you're on the playoff stage. Let's see what you got. I'm gonna coach you up as best as I can, and you're gonna give me everything you have. Um, and then who knows? By maybe if they keep a good chunk of the roster next season, then some of those role player guys will know exactly what to do uh, come the 2019 playoffs when you have you know Hayward and Irving right there with you so I think it's a good teaching sort of learning opportunity for a lot of the younger guys or the the bench players you could say um but yeah I mean it's it'll be interesting to see where the Celtics go from here I know you know the Bucks they it was a very close game one in a way I mean it went to overtime um but yeah that's that's really all I have to say about the Celtics and Boston sports and all that good stuff. So when we come back, we will transition into our usual second half UMass athletics discussion. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. UMass Men and Women Basketball on WMUA is supported by listeners like you and by Collective Copies, a worker-owned print shop with a mission. Printing, publishing, and promotion, 11 worker owners who share over 150 years of experience in the print industry are there to help you at every step. Collective Copies in Amherst and Florence and online 24-7 at collectivecopies.com.
All right, so thank you for sticking with us. We are back from break, getting into some UMass athletics uh, news and headline updates. If uh, you weren't aware, that's what we do on the second half of this show. Uh, first up, first order of business, UMass uh, played their, UMass football, that is, played their first uh, spring football game, or their only spring football game, actually. Uh, so they do one right around this time of year, uh, every spring, just sort of a scrimmage type thing. I think it's uh, black versus white, as uh, they usually do. So it seems that, again, uh, ESPN host Chris Berman was uh, in attendance, but not only in attendance, but actually coaching Team Maroon, while uh, ex Minutemen Dennis Gagnon uh, led Team White. Uh, Team White uh, came away with the 29-26 win. Uh, Yeah, and so I guess Andrew Ford only played one series. Uh, Ross Comis missed the game with a knee injury, so that uh, pretty much left the door open for Randall West, who was, I believe... The same player who joined the basketball team uh, sort of late in the season uh, as sort of like a, a role-playing, uh, you know, big man. But uh, so West, I guess, got a lot of game play in the spring football game, uh, which is uh, good to, you know, have some of the some of the bench guys, the more of the third-string guy, get some uh, playing opportunities, even if it is just a scrimmage. Uh, for what it's worth, it was... A uh, beautiful day out. I believe it was Friday. Yeah, Friday the 13th. Uh, a lot of fans in attendance for the tailgate. Um, I was not able to attend the football game. I did see a bunch of kids head down to the tailgate. There were a lot of uh, a lot of kids, uh, a lot of students, I should say, uh, at the tailgate wearing UMass uh, apparel. Not sure how many got, actually got into the stadium. Um, after all, it is just a scrimmage. You can only imagine how much uh, how much interest that uh, that draws with uh, some of the students here. So, also uh, just going into spring sports, they are somewhat wrapping up. I know most most teams are sort of getting towards the end of their conference schedules. Um, I know most of the teams are, most of the spring sports are in the A-10. Uh, I know men's lacrosse is in like the CAA. So it's, it's, it's a little different for, for every sport, but certainly getting towards the end, wrapping up things, I guess we'll just sort of dive into some headlines uh, off of the UMass Athletics website. Uh, so the first, first thing in order, UMass Athletics did announce the uh, 2018 Athletics Hall of Fame. And that will include Jennifer Butler, the women's basketball player, the 1998 football team, which won the national championship, I believe, in uh, a much lower, you know, not it's, it wasn't, it's not like the Bowl, the Bowl Division Series, I don't believe. Um, James Ahedibo, the... Uh, UMass, 
former football player who did play for the Patriots for a good period of time, I believe as a cornerback. And Zach Simmons, the uh, former UMass men's soccer player. So those three players in that one team uh, were inducted into the 2018 Hall of Fame class for UMass Athletics. Uh, pretty cool. You, uh, Jennifer Butler, just sort of going down the list, Jennifer Butler averaged, uh, it looks like 13.1 points and 11.6 rebounds per game uh, for the women's basketball team. She was here from 1999 through the uh, 2002 and 2003 season. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, James Ahedebo, as we know, uh, former... Um, it looks like, actually, he he's an Amherst, Massachusetts native. So that would be that would be really cool. I was not aware of that, um, but Hetty Bow was in uh, Division One Double A All American first team choice, and as we know, Hetty Bow went on and uh, signed the undrafted uh, free agent contract into the NFL. Ended up turning uh, that his talents into a ten season playing career, uh, spanning from the Jets from 07 to 2010. New England Patriots in 2011, which we all remember him uh, for that. And then finishing off his career with the Ravens, Lions, and Bills, retiring in 2016. Played 117 career NFL games. Uh, registered 394 tackles, 24 pass, uh, passes defended, and nine sacks with eight interceptions. So very... Uh, very, very decent career for uh, James Ahedebo. Um And he was here from 2002 to 2006. Zach Simmons, uh, like I said, the uh, men's soccer player who was here from 2004 to 2008, was an All-American goalkeeper. Um, had a very successful career here, obviously. Um, but he has the career record uh, for saves, 386. He's got 30 shutouts, 42 wins. These are all, I believe, uh, under his time here at UMass um, and registered a total of 7,800 minutes in net. So he was, he was a, obviously reading off those stats. He was a goal uh, tender here at UMass. And uh, Simmons also won All-American in 2007, collected an uh, A-10 All-Conference and two NC, NSC AA all regional laurels. So, another very talented player that uh, was inducted into the UMass Hall of Fame. And then lastly, the team, the one team getting inducted in the 1998 uh, UMass football team, which uh, clearly clearly a much better time for athletics during the uh, late 90s here at UMass with sort of uh, Cal's basketball team going to the final, the Elite Eight and or the Sweet Sixteens and the Final Four, um, and being number one in the country at basketball at one point, and then 1998 UMass football team, which did win the national championship. It was the NCAA FCS, so not the BCS, which would be the Bowl Championship Series, uh, which is more competitive, but still, nevertheless, a national championship for UMass. Uh, Twelve victories, the most in program history. I would assume because it is our only uh, national championship or anything close to that. Uh, since moving up to the BCS, we have not had as much success. 
nearly as much success, I should say. Um, and for obviously obvious reasons, as the competition is way more competitive. Um, and I believe it was uh, Mark Whipple, who was coaching at the time, and is also the current coach here, as most of you know. Uh, so Whipple's been with the team for a very long time. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I know, I think UMass football might be moving back down to some sort of FCS, uh, AA-type division or conference, uh, just because I know we've sort of gotten our butts kicked. Well, I shouldn't say our, but the football team's gotten their butt kicked the last uh, few years just playing in such a competitive atmosphere, being in the the major championship series with, you know, all, all the powerhouse team. I mean, we, I mean, we are in the independent league and I know we'll play, you know, like the Sun Belt. So we'll play some easy teams, but then, you know, there's also, we do play like those, those SEC teams. Like I know next year, uh, I believe Georgia, we, we're, we're playing Georgia in Georgia. So, I mean, that's probably the reason why they're having, just so many struggles because they're probably, I mean, our recruits aren't nearly as close to what the other uh, BCS teams are recruiting. And, you know, especially going up against some the Power Five conference teams, you know, like those like those SEC, SEC teams, um, which is just just too, too overmatching, too, too overpowering. They're just overmatched. Um, but, yeah, so... UMass football uh, looking to improve next season. Um, so that was the Hall of Fame class for 2018 men's track and field uh, split squad this weekend. The Minutemen will send competitors to the Holy Cross Decathlon, uh, Larry Ellis Invitational, and the Holy Cross Invitational. So three it sounds like three separate events. Um, unless the Larry Ellis Invitational is the same as the Holy Cross Invitational, which I don't believe it is. So three separate events. The decathlon is the third event. And then uh, for women's track and field, they also have a busy weekend, or a busy week, I should say, as it begins with the Holy Cross Heptathlon, uh, which I know Heptathlon, I think, is more of the the women's multi-event competition uh, so that's going to get underway for them. The minute women, minute women will compete in the Holy Cross Heptathlon, the Larry Ellis Invitational as well, and the Holy Cross Invitational as well. So the only difference there, they're both going to, both men's and women's will play in Larry Ellis and Holy Cross, and the only difference is men will do the decathlon and women will participate in the heptathlon. So, wow, that was a lot of words. Uh, sorry about the confusion there. But uh, women's track Staying on uh, that course, uh, basically, they received multiple A10 weekly awards. McLean uh, named Women's Track Performer of the Week, and Nodar Francesco, we're terrible with names on the show, was honored as Co-Women's Rookie of the Week. And essentially, uh, McLean was... The has the mile school record with four minutes and forty three seconds. That is incredibly fast. Um, 
that's an incredibly fast women's time. Second at the uh, Ocean State invite. And then Nodar uh, Francesco, the shot put, women's shot put, was uh, who is the number four all-time in UMass history. Uh, she threw 46-7.25. That was first at the Ocean State Invitational. And that earned her co-rookie of the week. Uh, moving on to baseball. UMass concluded an eight-game homestand uh, playing at Earl Lorden this past week and weekend. Uh, Siena, LaSalle were uh, some of the teams in that homestand. And the Saints will trek to Lorden Field on, I believe it is, actually that game was played yesterday. So that game wrapped up. And uh, also a key game against LaSalle. Just want to thank everyone for another great week. Uh, This is all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Unbeaten. We will be back here uh, same time next week. Have a great week, everybody.